to take your Bibles, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. That'll be the only passage you'll need for tonight, so go there. We'll read it. We'll get going here. If you're looking at your notes and you can't wait to start writing, we're going to talk about getting repentance right. There are a couple different kinds of repentance, and we want to we want to get it right. We don't have the wrong kind. Uh, Roman number one, we're going to look at a definition. We must start with a proper definition. And then Roman number two, we'll spend a few moments talking about a proper desire. And that, of course, is for true repentance and for the right kind of repentance. And then we'll take right out of our text in verse 11, the proper disciplines. The disciplines, that'd be Roman number three. And we'll close with a divine lesson with verse number 12. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, starting in verse number 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, starting in verse number 8. Now Paul here is writing to the church of Corinth. The church of Corinth was very mixed up. They had a lot of wishy-washy doctrines. There was a lot of lack of discipline. And we'll see in a minute that there was, there was, a, there was a poor understanding of repentance. Because their repentance was only seasonal. They only repented for a little while and then went back to their evil deeds. And that's what we want to try to avoid in our lesson tonight. So we start in verse uh, 8. And I want you to notice the number of times it uses the word sorry or repent or repentance in these next few verses. Verse 8. For though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent, though I did repent. It's like Paul saying, I wrote you a letter, but maybe I could have done better. That's kind of the way his way of saying that. For I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it were though it were but for a season. So we had a, a short-lived repentance. Now I rejoice, verse 9, not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. For you were made sorry after a godly manner. That's where that's where we want to be. Godly manner type of sorrow and repentance. That you might receive damage by us in nothing. Verse 10. For godly sorrow, godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. See the two different kinds of Sorrow and repentance spoken of. Verse 11, For behold, this selfsame thing, that you sorrowed after a godly sort, what carefulness it wrought in you. Yea, what clearing of yourselves. Yea, what indignation. Yea, what fear. Yea, what vehement desire. Yea, what zeal. Yea, what revenge. In all things you have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Wherefore, though I wrote unto you, I did it not for his cause that had done the wrong, nor for his cause that suffered wrong, but that our care for you in the sight of God might appear unto you. Let's pray and let's see if we can untangle this. Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for the privilege to be in church and to pray with these dear folks. We pray that you have heard our prayers and you will respond in a way that's helpful and in a way that we can understand. And we pray that tonight as we look at your word, that you'd help this preacher to speak right, speak truthfully, and say that which is important, leave out those things that are not important. 
Lord, might we leave here tonight thankful that we have practiced a godly sorrow and that we have experienced godly repentance. Lord, we don't want to get this very important doctrine wrong. We want to get it right so we can please you. So help us tonight by your Holy Spirit. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Okay? Getting our repentance right. Some of you are aware that our youngest daughter, when she was 17.9, that means she was almost 18, about two weeks from being 18, she had a rebellious streak and she left home. And she was away from us for uh, several years. Uh, I don't know the exact number of years, but it was, it was a worrisome time for mom and dad. I asked one of the counselors at the college, I said, you know, when you have a prodigal child, what specifically do you pray for? And uh, my pastor friend, who had more training than I have, he said, what you want to do is you want to pray that your daughter will have godly sorrow and will experience godly repentance. Because evidently she was just being good to please her parents. She wasn't necessarily being good to please God. And a lot of kids do that, by the way. They just uh, they behave for a short season so they can get their way or they can please somebody. But the Lord hasn't really worked on their heart in this area of godly sorrow and godly repentance. And we know today that there are too many false professions because of worldly sorrow and worldly repentance. So let's start with a definition here, and there's no room on your paper, but you can... Uh, you can add this someplace on the front or back or to the side. He says in verse 8, For though I made you sorry with the letter, I do not repent, though I did repent. For I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season. So Paul here is expressing the worldly sorrow that sometimes is, is not the best for us. It says in verse 10 that it worketh death. Well, what is worldly sorrow anyway? Well, worldly sorrow is when you uh, when you practice a convenient sorrow that produces no change. For example, you said, Lord, I'm sorry I bite my nails. And then the next day you're biting your nails again. That's a worldly sorrow. Or you say, well, Lord, I'm sorry I really uh, uh, I drink too much diet pop. But nothing changes. You don't drink diet pop for a week and then you're back on diet pop again. So it's, it's a sorrow that's, and it's a repentance that's real shallow. And that's what Paul was trying to get these Corinthians believers to see, that to understand godly repentance, they had to understand that there's not just one kind of sorrow. There's worldly sorrow that worketh death. We see that in verse 10. But there's also a convenient sorrow that produces no change or very little change. And those, uh, those are not the kind of sorrows those are not the kind of uh, repentance that we want to experience, and that's not the kind of repentance we want in the people we're trying to win. So how you define sorrow? How do you define it? Well, I'm glad you asked. I went to my Webster's Dictionary. Here's what I came up with. Uh, to sorrow means to show care, concern, and especially in calamities. When there's been a death, you're truly sorry that Grandma died, and you, of course, shed some tears. That, that's, that's sorrow. That's a real sorrow. To be anxious, to be disappointed, and to be uneasy. 
is also a definition of sorrow. A third definition Webster gives is to feel pain of mind in consequence of the actual loss or hopes of happiness. To grieve and to be sad is the definition for sorrow. Now, the, the general antidote or the general remedy for worldly sorrow, <laughs> believe it or not, is employment. Most men will get out of their sorrow if they have a job. And most ladies get out of their sorrow because a lot of ladies are housewives and they got to focus on the children. Work provides much more for us than just a paycheck. Work provides an avenue of relief from our sorrow. Now, repentance, on the other hand, that's our key word because that's more of a that's that's a more valuable Bible word than sorrow, even though they are somewhat connected. But repentance is very important. If you want to write down Luke 13, 3, Jesus said, Except you repent, you'll all likewise perish. So we know that repentance is important. And in Acts 3.19, Peter tells the people, Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. So both Jesus and Peter were big on repentance, and you and I should be as well. Easy believism leaves out repentance. Easy believism walks up to an individual, do you believe in Jesus? Yes, I do. He's saved. And they don't explain repentance. Now, we're saved by faith in Christ alone, through Christ alone. We understand that. But the, the cousin of saving faith is, is genuine repentance. And if repentance isn't learned, then you have a false profession or you have a shallow profession and there isn't much growth. And uh, every church has people within it that are growing way too slow. And the reason they're growing way too slow and becoming faithful way too slow is because there's no genuine repentance. Their repentance is shallow. It's not heartfelt and deep. To repent means to feel pain, sorrow, or regret for something that you have done or something you have spoken. To repent means to change your mind because of in, an injurious past conduct. To repent in theology means the pain and sorrow we experience as a result of sin and dishonor to God's holy law. One who repents turns from foul murmuring and grieving to faithful gratitude. You get that? When one has truly repented, they turn from grumbling and murmuring and complaining to gratitude. And I think it's important. I think it's good that Webster includes this in his in his definition of repentance and repent. Repentance involves the acknowledgement of our own sinful conduct. Repentance involves a godly fear for coming chastisement. One of the reasons I don't drink liquor is I'm very certain the Lord would chastise me and I would probably go to heaven early. And that's a fear that I have. And it's a healthy fear. I mean, I, I, I can drink if I want to, but I don't want to. Because I respect him and I, and I fear him and I understand repentance. Repentance involves understanding the difference between legal and real repentance. It involves relinquishing 
any practice that we know offends God. Repentance is relinquishing any practice that offends God. So that's our definition. You ready to go to part two here? So we've got to pray for a desire for proper repentance. Look at verses 9 and 10. Now I rejoice, Paul says, that you were made sorrow, but that you sorrowed to repentance, for you were made sorry after a godly manner. Paul noticed that some of these people actually practice godly sorrow and receive godly repentance, that you might receive damage by us in nothing. So Paul basically saying, I want you to get it right. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. So let me ask you a question. Is there salvation without sorrow for your sin? Well, according to verse number 10, it's obvious that it's very necessary. There needs to be a turning from the sin to the Savior. And I don't know what sins you did before you were saved, but I know what this rascal did before I was saved. And I was sorry, and I didn't want to do those things again. Sometimes I trip up and the devil causes me to fall and stumble, but I don't stay down because I go to 1 John 1, 9, I confess those sins and I move on. But it's important that I understand that the Lord wants that repentance and sorrow to be profitable and to work in my life. The last part of verse 10 says, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. So uh, cheap worldly sorrow does us no good at all. We must desire this is for you and I that love God and we love His Word. We've got to desire, desire godly sorrow and godly repentance. Let's say you have a particular sin. Don't say you don't have any because all of us have besetting sins of some kind or another. But let's say that you have a besetting sin and, and you just can't let go of it or it can't let go of you. It's not letting go of you and you're not letting go of it. Well, apply this principle of godly sorrow. Say, Lord... Give me a holy hatred for that sin. Let me illustrate. When I was saved, I had an alcohol issue. And I prayed when, when a preacher came over and told me how to get it right. He said, you pray and ask God to remove that alcohol tree, and he will. And then the preacher said something that I'll never forget. He said, now, this is not going to be easy. Because if you really want to stop drinking, he's going to have to give you some real serious lessons in your life to make you not want to go back to that habit. So within a few months, my cousin was killed in a drunk driving graduation accident. A few months after that, a friend of mine was killed. A buddy of mine in the service committed suicide. I had two Army buddies, one Air Force and one Army, that committed suicide, both while under the influence of alcohol. And this, these are the kinds of things that, that blow up and make big that godly sorrow. Because if you're serious about stopping your besetting sin, ask God to give you a godly sorrow for it and godly repentance for it, and, and then put your seatbelt on. Because he can do it. And he will do it. Otherwise, you may just be playing games. You may be right back to your old sin within a week or two. Be very careful in this area. So I would pray for a desire for sorrow and for repentance against any issue that is causing an offense to a holy God. If you're serious about your part, he will be serious about his part. You say, well, pastor, isn't that work salvation? No, it's not. It's not work salvation. It's, it's sanctification with some biblical discipline is what it is. 
Do you want to get the victory over that particular sin or not? If you don't, then just say, excuse me, and go right back to it. If you do want to get the victory over it, pray and ask God for godly sorrow and genuine repentance and watch and see if he doesn't give it to you. By the way, with our youngest daughter, we began praying this way that she would have godly sorrow. Within a short time, she got pregnant and lost the baby. Within a short time afterwards, she was she was stopped by a police officer on the turnpike around Denver, and they put her in the drunk tank. And she called up sometime after, and she confessed, and she said, Dad, I never want to go there again. And what was happening was God was giving her some serious, strong, powerful lessons about the dangers of foolish living. And so she's much more mature today, and she's much more careful when she counsels the other inmates that she goes and visits and tries to share the gospel with. So pray for it for yourself, a godly desire for sorrow, or pray for it for somebody else. If you have a prodigal son or prodigal daughter, just say, Lord, Give my son godly sorrow for his sin, because I'd like him back. Give my daughter godly sorrow for her sin, because I'd like her back. We have not because we ask not. Okay? Let's look at this practice of proper disciplines. Now, this we can go through a little bit quicker, but let's go to verse number 11. And uh, there's seven of them here. I've got A, B, C, D, E, F, G. The first one is uh, <coughs> the first pattern It says, what carefulness, there's your word there for letter A, what carefulness. As we look at verse number 11, for behold, the selfsame thing that you sorrowed after a godly sort, and this is how you have a godly sort of sorrow, what carefulness it wrought in you. And the idea there is to take care and make amends with any believers. Let's let's say that you got in a big fat argument with your mother-in-law. Well, call her up and apologize, (laughs) okay? Fix it. You know, one of the easiest ways to fix things is just say, I'm sorry. Just just say you're sorry. Don't go into all the details. Just say you're sorry. Just fix it. You know, it's hard for the Lord to bless a church when people are fighting with each other. And so we need to be careful about making amends. It's called the ministry of reconciliation. We need to fix those things that are broken especially relationships. Is it easy? Probably not. But I think it's necessary. Letter B here is what clearing. Again, in verse 11, it says, what carefulness wrought in you, yea, what clearing of yourselves. And that means you need to be ready to clear things up for the glory of God. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Clear things up so you have a clean path and a straight path for the things of the Lord. You need to clear the clear the junk out of the way and get down to the business of godly sorrow and godly repentance. Letter C is what indignation. What indignation. And the idea there is clearly you need to be angry at unjust and unworthy or mean stuff. You know, what's fundamentally different between us and the Islamic faith, the Muslim faith, is we are taught to love our enemies. Major fundamental difference. We are taught to love our enemies. And in a lot of the cults, they're not taught to love their enemies. 
They're taught that if they don't agree with you, get rid of them. If they don't agree with you, avoid them. If they don't agree with you, get mad at them. And God comes along and says, okay, Christian, love your enemies. Is that easy? No. But uh, we need to be careful that we don't become unjust and unworthy and become mean ourselves because we're closer to humanism than we are to the Holy Word of God. We, we need theology and we need an understanding of God's Word and I'm still struggling with it and I'm 72 years old. But one thing I don't want to embrace is humanism. And humanism leaves God out and they try to solve all of life's problems without God. We need to uh, be upset with that. Letter D is fear. What fear, Paul says. We need to be alarmed at our passivity and its injurious effects. So what does that mean? Well, this is no time to be quiet. The whole world is coming apart. You don't, you don't realize how many people out there are scared to death of this COVID virus. And we have an opportunity to witness to them. We have an opportunity to give them a track. I, I wrote a track on COVID-19. Nobody patted me on the back for it. A few people ripped it up and gave it back to me. But it, this is not the time to be quiet. This is a time for you and I to say, the Lord's in charge. And if you get saved, he'll help you through this. It's not a time for us to be quiet. We need to understand the fear and the terror of the Lord so that we can persuade some. They're not afraid of dying in hell because they don't believe in it. But we need to be afraid for them. We need to have a holy fear. And we can't be passive. In the military, if you were passive, you were called a draft dodger. You, you, uh, you ran to Canada during the war times. Those people were, uh, they were rebellious. They, did, they didn't want to fight for their country. They didn't want to serve their country. So, so they ran to another country. Well, Christians sometimes, when we're confronted with a serious issue, we run to our closets. Instead of saying, what does God's word say about that? We, we need to be careful not to become so passive that we're useless. We need to stand and speak the truth in love. That's what we need to do. Letter E is what vehement desire. That is a longing for a heart like Jesus put into Paul. Letter E, what vehement desire. Do you have a vehement desire? Do you have any desire at all? One of the downfalls of getting older is when you get older, you lose your desire. And uh, sometimes you need your wife to pinch you, get your desire back. But uh, as you age, you, you lose that. And, and Paul says, look, I want you people to have a strong desire. I want you to have some zeal about living for the Lord. I want you to have some zeal about your Christianity. Do you dare to pray and ask God for a vehement desire. He wants to give it to you, but again, we have not because we ask not. Letter F is it, what zeal? Zeal is the idea of possessing enthusiasm, concern and fervor, and a passion for the lost. Do we share? Now, there are a lot of people who think that God does it all and he doesn't use us. Well, God does do all the drawing and he does do all the saving, but he's used men ever since Adam and he's going to use men until the rapture. If you're willing, he'll use you. But if you're unwilling to share and to care and to witness, he'll use somebody else. And so we need to have a zeal and we need to have a desire for 
the Lord's work. And Paul was trying to get these Corinthians to see that. And then what revenge, he says at the end here, verse 11. What revenge. And that is a readiness and a strong desire to see justice done. The only vengeance that's good is godly vengeance and good vengeance. Do good. Who is the fellow that had the America's Most Wanted series a few years back? How many of you know what I'm talking about, America's Most Wanted? Okay. He would try to find uh, criminals who hurt little children. But what he did was he lost his own son. His own son, I believe, was kidnapped and killed. What he did with the anger is not take a machine gun and go try to find people. What he did with his anger is he channeled it into a television program to capture villains to get the bad guys off the street and into jail where they belong to serve their sentences for their wrongdoing he took the energies and did something good rather than taking the energy and doing something bad because vengeance is the lord's you and i need to be careful when we get angry that we don't kill our enemies god says want you to fix them and love them and Pray for them and try to make things right. And so be careful with the revenge. He, he wants us to have some, but it needs to be a good vengeance, not an evil and corrupt and wicked vengeance. Okay? So there you have the disciplines or the patterns that are necessary for us. We need to be careful. We need to, we need to have a clearing. We need to have an indignation. We need to have a fear, a proper fear, a, a vehement desire. We need to have a zeal. And we need to have revenge. The last part of verse 11 says, in all things you have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Paul says, some of you people have actually done that, and I appreciate you so much. And I appreciate you folks being in church on Wednesday night because there's a whole crop of people that are not here. They don't have the desire. Maybe they're busy, maybe they're working. That's not everybody, but as preachers, we we want the church to grow, and we want people here so we can teach them. And we only have four hours in a week, and there's 168 hours in a week, and we only get most of you Sunday school, church, Sunday night, Wednesday night. If you make all the services, that's only four hours out of 168 hours we have to feed you and give you some ammunition to use on your lost neighbors and friends and coworkers and relatives and everybody else. Let's wrap this up with the divine lesson for us. First of all, we saw the definition, and we saw the importance of praying for a desire for godly repentance and godly sorrow. And then we saw the disciplines that are necessary for us to get there. And now let's look at the divine lesson for us in verse number 12. Wherefore, though I wrote unto you, I did it not for his cause that had done the wrong. I didn't do it just to fix you from some of your little problems. Well, for his cause that suffered wrong, but that our care. Paul says, I want you to know that I really care about you people. I really care about you. And God sees that and I want you to see that. And the lesson is that we are, we are to be caring one for another and we're to be caring together for the flock. We're to be working together and serving together and loving others together and witnessing together. That's how we show we care. Uh, whenever we're surprised by the foolish behavior of a believer, what we need to do is show them that we care and try to fix it. You ever see a young Christian who you know, makes a silly mistake and we chuckle, but we don't fix it, we should fix it. Um, now, I've had experience of working with a lot of baby Christians, 
And they, when they turn to the book of Job, they, the book of Job, they say Job. And when you turn to the book of Psalms, they say Palms. And you got to take them along. You got to take them along and help them out. I, I never heard a lesson on the tithe until I was saved three years. If somebody would have taught me about the tithe the first year, I could have got it right. But nobody taught me about the tithe for three years. You say, well, that's the pastor's fault. Well, maybe my ears weren't working. Maybe I needed a friend to tell me about the tithe. I don't know. Maybe I needed some growth and from other than from somebody other than the pastor. And God will use you if you're willing to be used, okay? Pray and teach people what godly sorrow is and what it looks like, and then help them to practice godly sorrow and repentance in their life so they can get their own life cleared up and start helping others. And uh, then I think we can see some results. And I, I for one, am a, am a pastor that's a little disappointed that people grow so slow. And I'm convinced that one of the reasons they grow slow is because they've not prayed for a desire to truly repent. And they have no interest in true repentance. They want to continue living in humanism. And they want to continue living for the flesh from Monday through Saturday and then play church on Sunday. And I think that's something that we can fix okay, if we work together. Are you still happy, class? Say amen. Did you learn something? Say amen. Let's stand and have a word of prayer and we'll let you go.